Welcome another episode of the Broadcast Podcast, episode number twenty-eight. Uh, as always, I am the host uh, Ahmed Bashar, and I have with me Nazir, your co-host. Uh, and if you guys recall, we started this podcast off as a cricket podcast, uh, and uh, we're gonna go back to our roots in this episode. And who better to talk some cricket uh, with none other than uh, Usman Samyuddin? He is a senior editor at ESPN Cricket Info and author of the book "The Unquiet Ones," which is a book on the history of Pakistan cricket. So, welcome, Usman Bhai, and thank you for taking the time out. Ah, uh, th- thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's good to be here. No, it's well, in my home, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's still good to be there. <laughs> the best way that we could, the best way that we could talk to each other, obviously. Yeah. It's honestly, it's an it's an honor and a privilege to have a writer on on the podcast. I myself am a writer, so I just want to dive deep into that world of of writing for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. How did your journey uh, start in this world of uh, journalism and writing? Where can you take us back to? Because your degree, your undergrad, isn't really in um in the in the. In it's the in writing. economics it's and economic. governance. Yeah, it's in economics. Yes, and governance. I'm not sure how you guys know this, but yes, it is. We did. We did our thorough research. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, e- economics, as we all know, it's it's you know it's a fake science. It's not really. It, it you have to suspend your disbelief. I think your your state of belief for a while. Um, so I, I did economics because I just didn't have, I guess, the courage to do history, which is something that I loved doing. Um, I wanted to do history, but you know it was the same old kind of desi thing that well, what will you do with a history degree? What job will you get? You know, if you do economics, you'll become a banker and all this. I mean, this was back in the day, right? We're talking like 25 years ago or something, um, and that's changed now. So I, I, I did that purely because I thought, you know, what else am I going to do? I might as well get this degree. Um, I did it, and I came out. I got, you know, I got, I got a degree from from here, actually, University of Manchester here, and then um, for. About three years afterwards, I just kind of drifted. Uh, you know, I, I was in England. I, I I worked here. I worked. There. I worked in a bank for like six months. I hated it. Um, uh, did a lot of other odd jobs, like working in cafes and stuff. Like just trying to, like you know, in, in kind of in the middle of finding something meaningful to do. Uh, and then um, did a bit of uh, did a bit of journalism work with the BBC. Uh, really, you know, as, as a graduate kind of trainee thing. And then. I moved to Pakistan because I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing much here. So I moved to Karachi uh, and there my sister and her brother-in-law had like begun writing. Uh, and my brother-in-law actually used to work at Dawn, uh, the newspaper. Uh, and you know, as I was kind of like just drifting, I, I saw this ad for, for, for a job at um, uh, one of the magazines in Dawn uh, called Aurora. It's like a marketing mag, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that. I, I used to write for Dawn as well. I used to write for their blog oh, okay. section for a while. All right, yeah, 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 of course. So I, I, I you know, I, I joined, I got the job, Maria Malibeg, thank you very much. You know, she's the editor and, and, the, and the boss there. And she kind of gave me my first real grounding uh, into journalism. Um, and, and I was there and, you know, I love cricket, obviously. I hadn't really written on it before. And uh, I, I moved back from England and I, I, I thought I'd just write to, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Tim Delisle. He used to be the editor of the Wisden Almanac. So, you know, like the Bible of cricket, that yeah. yellow book. Yeah. Um, and, but he's a really cool guy. Like he writes on music and stuff. You know, he goes to concerts and he reviews music and pop music and rock music. Very cool guy. I, I dream wrote, job. Like, that's, that's the dream job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is paid, to watch, paid to watch shows and write about them. That's literally. <laughs> exactly, right? So I, I just wrote to him. On the off, you know, just I wrote him blind. I just sent him an email. I, I think they were doing some kind of graduate 
cricket writing scheme in England. And I was in Pakistan by then. So I wrote to him saying that, listen, you know, I don't, I don't qualify for this, but help. And he got me in touch. He said, he wrote back for a start, which was like, wow, you know, who writes back? That's and huge. That's huge. Really yeah. kind of him. And he not only wrote back, he, he CC'd in Sambit Bal, who's, you know, now the editor of Crick Info. Yeah. Um, and he said to, he said to me that, you know, I, I don't have anything for you. I'm really sorry, but you know, we've just set up like an Asian version of ourselves and Sambit Pal is the editor, and I'm sure he's looking for voices from Pakistan. And Sambit wrote to me, and, and that was it. That was the start, really. So I started doing, like, freelancing stuff for them. Um, and then I, I, I saved up some money. I covered an India-Pakistan series, and this was in 2004 or 2005. Uh, yeah. And I met Sambit, and Sambit said, hey, hey, listen, do you want to just go full-time with us? And I was still at dawn at this time. And he said, do you want to yeah. go full-time? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> of course I want to go full-time with you. And that was literally, that was kind of the start of, of, of this whole thing. When uh, So for a very brief window, I used to write for uh, Crick and Gif, uh, the Pakistan. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of so course. Like, I would say like for maybe like two months, they, they asked me to write for them. And because I'm a, we are huge cricket fanatics. Like we, we were at the World Cup last year, like we're big. And we, so I thought like, I'm a fan. I can write about cricket. I know, I know this, I know that. And then when I started to like, try to write like a deep dive on sim- the simplest person, Shahid Afridi, I couldn't. Cause it was like, I was literally going through your articles and articles on cricket yeah. phone and, and other people to just find like a narrative. How did you find your voice in cricket journalism? Cause I thought I was a good writer and I thought that I had a voice cause I write fiction and that's easier for me. But writing yeah. something like a cricket journalism, I, I was stuck. I was like, this, I can't do this. I'm sorry. How no, did you yeah, find I mean, your way it, through that? I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, I think like your voice is something, it comes to you, but I don't think you ever settle on, on one voice. You know, it, it's kind yeah. of like if you write fiction, I guess you play with the idea of a lot of different voices that you're kind of yeah. writing out, right? So I think that's kind of, um, it, it's kind of, I think it's, it's the confidence to be able to execute a voice. You know, so uh, like I, it depends on the mood I'm in, it depends on the subject I'm writing about. And I will adopt that tone for what I think is appropriate for that time. So, but, you know, it, it took a long time. If you, I read some of my earliest articles from like back in 2003 and four, and I cringe. <laughs> I, I like so Never, Why do you do that to yourself? That's horrible. <laughs> I, it's bad, man. It, it just happens. You know, somebody throws it in my face, like randomly from somewhere. Yeah. And, it, and it's horrendous. Like I, I, but I can see that at that time I was trying to develop a voice. Um, and, and, and one of the really good things, one of the really lucky things I think I've been fortunate in was that I, I worked with Sambit and this, this group of really young, uh, fresh writers in India at that time. So Crick Info at that time, uh, you know, it kind of, it, it was growing. That's when it was becoming big. And it was not only growing, it was growing in a very particular kind of voice. Like people came to Crick Info for like the literary kind of, you know, uh, yeah. the literary coverage of cricket. And so I had these young, great guys, like contemporaries, kind of Rahul Bhattacharya, Siddharth Vedyanathan, uh, Sid Monga came later, but Amit Verma, who are all like guys who, you know, Rahul's written a novel, uh, yeah. on, which is nothing to do with cricket. Yeah. Um, Amit Verma is like a prize winning economics writer and, and a yeah. blogger in India. You know, these guys, Chandrahas Chaudhary was there as well, who is also a novelist now. You know, these guys, I was really lucky to be around these guys who were just, they love cricket. But they had so many other interests. Like I, you know, I, myself, I, you know, cricket is not the only thing that I love kind of writing about or doing or whatever. And I think hanging out with these guys has really opened up my eyes to the world out there. And then over all of us, we had Sambit, who, you know, it, it was just at that time, he had a lot more time to, to work with his writers. So he would, you know, he, we would go through pieces that we had 
written and he would, you know, talk you through a piece. He would tell you that, oh, you know, maybe you can approach it like this. This is how you should be approaching it. So I think a combination of those things uh, and the exposure that I got with these guys, plus ultimately the freedom, you know, some bit yeah. was really good that way in that he said, he, he kind of, he backed me like he did with all his other writers. And, and he thought that if you had something worthwhile putting out there, then he would let you do it in your own way. He wouldn't interfere too much with style and, yeah. and voice. Uh, he would mostly talk about like structure, which yeah. I, you know, yeah. to this day, it's like the number one most important thing in my head. Whenever I sit down to write a piece, it's always, okay, this is what I want to write about, but I'm starting at point A and I need to finish at point D. And how am I going to get there? You know, it's like a, you're charting out a map while you write this piece and it's literally how you're going to get there. So that's where you kind of, the structure becomes really, really important to me. So are you like a, are you like a daily grind writer where you're sitting every single day, morning, you have a, you have a time slot, you have your cup of coffee and, and you're, you're like churning it out. Or are you like one of those inspirational, motivational writers that when you, when the lightning strikes, that's when the keyboard comes out. What type of so, writer I mean, are you? My, my role it takes now, discipline to write a novel. It takes discipline yeah. to write a book, right? So you have written a book, which I'm yeah, assuming yeah. would relay that you have some sort of like writerly discipline, but like you always falter. Yeah, I mean, my, see, my role now kind of, uh, it, it's a lot more of the kind of role, I guess, that Sambit had at that time, you know, where he was working with other writers as well. So that takes up a lot of my time. Plus also, like I, I do a lot of news coverage. So, you know, my, yeah. my, I, I've got to be in touch with our correspondents from around the world to make sure we're like doing whatever news and whatnot. But yeah. when I do get down to write stuff, um, like I, I did a Mohammed Amir piece recently. Uh, I just read one. that. That was amazing. Yeah, thank that you. Was thank awesome. you. Right. That was so that awesome. was like, a, you know, that was a piece about four years in the making. And, and it's only, it sounds like a lot, but you know, it's four years because four years from the moment that I decided I wanted to write it to chase him, to chase all the other people around him. The actual writing of it. So what I did, you know, I, I have two young daughters now, um, lovely girls. Love. You know, the parents, like as a parent, you, you don't have any time to yourself in the day. So what I was doing, and this is something that I did with the book, um, is that I, I, I used to get up like an hour and a half earlier than I would normally. So, you know, I, I get up to take Sarah, my daughter, to school, get up around 7.30. So what I was doing was during the Amir piece and when I was writing the book, I used to get up at 6.00. And I used to give myself that one and a half hours in the morning every day, just for like myself and my writing. Yeah. Um, and then later on, you know, if your day frees up, then suddenly you have a bit more time and you get back to it and, and you're feeling that momentum and you want to get back to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I always had this base that, you know, you've got to have a set time in a day that if you're doing something that you love writing, like, you know, I'll do a lot of pieces, which are like a, a 1200 word opinion pieces, which yeah. I can write right now, you know, I can sit down right now and start <laughs> writing or whatever. But if I'm doing something which is a bit deeper, which is a bit longer, um, then I, I would set myself a time of the day, get down to it then. Uh, and, and then, you know, if I have more time in, in the day later on, I come back to it. Um, but yeah, like, that discipline, that, it's definitely important for sure. Like, I'm not even surprised that that Muhammad Amir piece was like a four year in the making because that was such an in-depth <laughs> Amazing! I loved it. I also feel like, as somebody who lived through that era, like I grew up in Karachi, and uh, in oh, yeah. 2010 when uh, Muhammad Abur burst on the scene, everybody on my street when we used to play cricket in the gully, uh, they oh, wanted yeah. to be like Muhammad Abur. Yeah, and you mentioned a lot about like the long hair and Pakistani fast bowling. Yeah, everybody was growing out their hair. They wanted to copy his action, and I I feel this sense of connection with Muhammad Amir. It's so weird. Like I feel like Amir is everything that I could never be, and then so seeing also, him, everything that he himself could never be ultimately. <laughs> that's true, and that's something that you talk a lot about in the in in the article as well. Uh, the fact that you know 
maybe we put Amir on this pedestal that maybe he was never supposed to be on. The condition no. that he played in at the beginning of his career, maybe his stats were inflated. He it as well, actually. I, I, I suspect that he has an idea of it as well, kind of. Um, uh, he kind of hinted at it when we spoke, but if you like, if you speak to like you know the people who kind of groomed him into the bowler that he became, they also kind of suggest that you know he, he's not that guy that you remember in 2010 in England when he was like swinging the ball around corners. He's actually a, a much more workman-like kind of you know hardworking, gets the ball in the right places. I'm very much a T20 bowler, like you know he he'll mm-hmm. come out and bowl you like a really good six Yorkers in a row kind of over, as opposed to now running through a side, which you know he once did for like a brief period, but. Maybe that wasn't him, um, yeah, you know? yeah. but that's what we all remember. And I think as Pakistani fans, that was very hard to accept because our, our imagination was that once he's going to come back, he's going to roll through every side every single day. And there were yeah, like yeah. moments where he would like, obviously some of the spells that come to mind are like the, the, the Asia Cup. Cup, the Asia Cup. Like those are moments where you're like, that's it. That's the 2010 yeah, yeah, yeah. that we all love and remember. But then there was just like, like flames that would burst and then they were, they were gone. I, yeah, I think, yeah, you know, those are, so you, you know, I, I wouldn't say any bowler, but a lot of good boys, because he's a good bowler, right? He's a good bowler. He has the skills. He has the brain, importantly. And I think if you get the conditions right, at, you know, you have a big match, big stage, lots of crowd and stuff. Not, you know, as much as I love the UAE, like playing in the UAE is like a real downer. You know, there's nobody yeah. there. It's a dead pitch. You're playing against Sri Lanka, which, you know, no, no, just like Sri Lanka is a great country, great people and a great team, but if you're playing them for like the 10th time in that year, Mohammed Amr is just like, you know, oh man, do I have to do this yeah. again? But when you give him a stage and you give him the conditions then he can still be like a really good bowler that, you know, that's yeah. still there, but it's just, I think like calibrating when that's going to happen and to what degree, you know, it might not happen in a test match, but it will happen in a T20 will happen in an ODI maybe. Um, yeah. And I, I think the important thing about him is that I think he is finding some kind of peace with where he is and what he is doing now. Uh, which, you know, it's selfish for him, I guess, but it's more important for him to find that kind of thing than, than it is for us to kind of want him to be back. Uh, in that I, was gonna, I was just going to ask you, what, what were your thoughts when he retired from uh, tests? Uh, I, you know, I, th- I, I tried to bring it across in, in that piece in the, in the sense that I think what he had done was pretty phenomenal and it was unmatched. I, I, well, it's almost unparalleled in sport, I think, for him to have come back after literally three and a half to four years of doing nothing, yeah. you know, and I, and I like, I tried to make sure I spoke to a lot of people around him and people who knew him and they were all like, you know, that he was so, he was just so despondent that time that he literally did not do any exercise for like, so if you think about it, I know he was young and all, but three and a half to four years of not doing anything and then just coming back and still being a very good bowler. Yeah. It was amazing. First of all, and second of all, I think it took a lot out of him. And I, I think he said in the, the day he retired and he put that video out, I think he said that, you know, uh, people kind of forget that I've, I've had five years of my body doing nothing. Yeah. And then to come back into bowling like 20 overs in a day, again, in the UAE, um, yeah. you know, it, it takes a toll. And so I think ultimately yeah, yeah. kind of caught up with him. And I, I, I wasn't hugely surprised. I, was, I guess I was, you know, sad, not disappointed yeah. because, you know, who am I to be disappointed? But I was sad as, yeah. as, a, as a watcher as a fan, uh, as a follower, that, you know, we're not going to get to see him maybe try and get back to what he was. Um, so, yeah, I, I was sad more than anything, but I, I kind of understand that he did it. Do you think what happened with Amr is currently happening, happening with Shaheen uh, and what happened with Hassan Ali? The fact that, you know, once we find a good baller, we want to play him with... <laughs> exactly. Like, we just want to put him, like, every single format, every game. <laughs> There's no workload management. 
Yeah, there, there really isn't. Um, and it's really sad. And I think, you know, one of the problems with the, like the PCB has done a lot of good stuff over the years as well. Like there's no doubt about that. And they've got good people working there, but I think they've really got to look at their, like their medicine department and not necessarily like, you know, that the people in it are bad or they're out to like kind of, you know, destroy these careers and stuff. I just think they are not using the best resources that are available to them and maybe having the kind of, you know, it's, medical science is like a really, it's, if you, you know, if you don't keep up, if you don't keep up with it, then you're gone. You know, you're, yeah. if you don't keep up, you've lost like five bowlers in like this, you know, in the blink of an eye, they're gone. And, and which and it looks have, like it's happening we, with guys like Hassan Ali. We have yeah, lost those bowlers. We have lost yeah, more exactly. than five bowlers in those. You know, Junaid Khan, Hassan Ali, uh, Roman Riaz, a uh, race man. Like, yeah. you know, what happened to him? The guy came in as an ice cold bowler in like, yeah. you know, the semifinals of, this, of the Champions Trophy. He yeah. looked like a really, really good white ball bowler. And, you know, he's on the verge, I think, the last I heard, um, he's on the verge of basically giving up because he can't play anymore. You know, his back is yeah. so bad. Well, and, and you kind of wonder, like, okay, you know, some of these cases, PCB will always say, oh, you know, the players are not kind of helping themselves either and they don't really listen to us. And okay, I say that, you know, out of 10, maybe four players uh, have kind of screwed up their own careers. But, you know, there, there's still going to be a number out there which you guys have actively like just neglected badly or just let go um, and, and not, not kind of worked right with them. Uh, and and I speak to I speak to like physios um, abroad, you know, who who have an interest in Pakistani cricket, like you know, sports scientists and physios, who are like just going crazy, pulling their hair out, you know, that why why are these guys being treated like this? And a, a lot of Pakistani cricketers actually go out and seek physios in England yeah. uh, to kind of work with them rather than go to the PC, which I which I think says pretty much anything that needs to be said about that situation, right? How how far are we from uh, the Kohli mindset of having your own personal trainer? Because uh, if we're trying to compare, if we're trying to compare like Babar Azam to the great Virat Kohli, the regiment that he goes through, the the routine that he has, um, I don't know. Not to disrespect Babar Azam, he is the king, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that he has that same kind of mindset. How far are we? Just on a on a level of like psychology to know that this is something that's gonna benefit our players, where they have their own personal routine, personal yeah. nutritionist, everything that's tailored spe- spe- specifically to them. I, I don't. Yeah. So I think the mindset is changing. I think like the, something like the PSL has been a big thing for that because yeah. you know you're 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 meeting people from across the world who are practicing and training and keeping fit in ways that you've never seen before. You know, uh, this. this there's lovely stories of how some Pakistani batsmen saw a guy like Andre Russell at one of the first or second PSLs. And they were blown over by the kind of just like range hitting practice that he was doing in the nets. Yeah. And they were like, you know, this guy just practices hitting sixes for like an hour. We've never done that before. And so they were like, oh, wow. And, you know, Brad Haddon, uh, the wicketkeeper, uh, like taught a lot of Pakistani keepers, like new ways of just training and keeping yourself fit. So, you know, th- their minds are opening to this. I just wonder if, the infrastructure is there, uh, maybe in Pakistan itself. I mean, you know, will they be able to find a trainer in Pakistan who will kind of be aware of, you know, what's needed for uh, somebody like Babar Azam to not just become, uh, you know, this 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 ripped athlete, but also to kind of to to, be, to become an athlete for cricket. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's not it, it's not always the same thing. If you know what I mean, obviously, you know, you're fit and yeah. and certain yeah. like. Holy fitness is there, but I don't know if that infrastructure is there. I don't know. It might be. There might be people out there, but I think in the players, that mindset is 
slowly shifting. It, you know, this generation might not be it, but generations that come after this, yeah. um, my, and you know, the, you've got to look at the, you've got to look at the surrounds of it all as well. Like, you know, Virat Kohli can be what he is and, and a lot of Indian cricketers can be what they are because, you know, they get paid a fat lot of money at the IPL yeah. and if they play for India and, you know, the, the, there is that whole economy around it. In Pakistan, Somebody like Sami Aslam. I don't know if you guys have followed this story yeah, recently. Yeah, I was. I did, I did. Now moving to the US. Wanting so to, sad. He's, he's worked really hard to become really fit over the last couple of years. Yeah. He had a bit of a, like a bust up with one of his domestic coaches, who's a really good coach, by the way. And you know, he shouldn't come off sounding bad here. They had a difference of some kind over, over a game. And, but he, he now sees no future for himself in Pakistan. So he's like, you know what? what commitment should I make to keeping fit and to doing this and to becoming better if I know that, you know, however many runs I score, and he was a fourth leading run scorer in the Kaidal yeah. Trophy last year, and he's not even in the 35 that's going to New Zealand right now, you know? So he, he might think, well, you know, what, 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 what reason do I have? I don't get a PSL contract. I get shunted to the second 11 of the National T20 Cup. I'm keeping myself fit. I, you know, I've done what they wanted me to do. I'm still scoring runs, but I'm not getting picked. Will I get picked a year down the line? Should I waste my time here? Should I move somewhere else? You know, in India, it's a little bit better than that. You know, it's a little bit more professional. Whereas if, if a guy doesn't get picked for the Indian national team, then he knows he can work hard and get picked by a franchise at the IPL and he can make that career for himself. And they can so still like, make big bucks playing like Ranji Trophy and, and all their domestic yeah, tournaments. So it's so financially viable. You know, they, they've got the incentive to make it a proper career and like kind of commit to doing that. Whereas I think in Pakistan, there's still so much uncertainty uh, you know, ab- about selections and about a captain uh, and about the selector and about the board. You know, it, it, Wasim Khan and Hassan Mani, if they go, uh, not that they've had like a, a great administration, but if they go, you know, somebody else will come in and they'll want to change stuff. Uh, and yeah. then, you know, somebody like Sami Islam, they might want him back. And so he's like just thinking, well, you know, hang on. Two years ago, you didn't want me. Uh, now I've wasted two years of my time playing at a lower level of cricket. I'm maybe not as fit as I was, but now you want me back. I might come back. I won't be as good. And, you know, it keeps kind of going up and down, up and down. And you never become that kind of honed performer and athlete that somebody like Virat Kohli. Virat Kohli is an exception because he yeah. is a super athlete. But yeah. you know what I mean? You, you're not going to get that unless you have everything that builds into it and feeds into it also like, you know, stable and committed. What do you say to uh, people that criticize Babar Azam in terms of not being able to finish matches or when, when you compare Babar Azam to the other, the other Fab Fives? Um, because I feel like by doing by comparing him to the other greats, uh, we're we're not appreciating greatness that we're seeing right now. Like Virat Kohli, Stephen Smith, Kane Williamson, these guys are all fantastic batsmen in their own, uh, you know, auras. Yeah, yeah, I think and, I think it's just a really it's 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 one of the worst arguments that you can like you know it's a really false argument as well. It's, it, it, you know, one player, especially in cricket of all games. One player is not going to win you a match. You know. What's the worst argument? Sorry, I'm not sure. Sorry, my, my went off on the. Who's interested as well? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those arguments. You know, it, one guy is not going to win you a match. Um, no matter how much you, you know, even even Brian Lara, the the greatest innings ever, that 150 against against Australia. There, there was ten other guys who who went into helping him win that match. You know, the Courtney Walsh leaving towards the end and allowing Lara to hit the winning runs. It's not just one guy. So I, I don't buy into this argument at all. Bob Razov is just, he's a great batsman, full stop. He's, he's yeah. probably, well, he's definitely the greatest batsman Pakistan has seen in the last 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he could probably end up being the greatest of all time for Pakistan. He really yeah. is 
Like he's on that level. You know, he could really yeah. be the greatest to come out of this country ever. Um, and I'll say that without any hesitation. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of ways he could fail and stuff, but <laughs> if he goes along as he is going along, I think you know, very soon he will be the greatest guy that we produced. I think. I'd like to say that barbarism is whatever Ahmed Shahzad and Omar Akmal never got to be. Yeah, if you know, if they had a brain between them, they'd be barbarism. If I'm being harsh, yeah. No, a brain and commitment to the cause and stuff, and you know, just just being able to. A lot of it's like being able to fit yourself into a side as well, right? You know, mm-hmm. Omar Akmal could never do it. Emma Shazad tried; he could never do it. Bob Razam, maybe he's the kind of personality who comes in and fits in anywhere in a side. You know, he's he doesn't seem like an like an especially different kind of guy to everyone else. You know, Omar Akmal obviously is a very strong kind of personality. So is Emma Shazad, and these things, you know, they make a difference. Um, mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Mickey Arthur, who knows how long Bob Razam would have been in that side? You know, Mickey Arthur pushed him and yeah. and supported him and kept him. He in persisted that side. with him in, in Test match cricket, where he was averaging Absolutely. the twenties. Well, I'm sh- I'm sure, like a hundred percent sure, at some point, Mizbah would have been like, "Let's just drop him." <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I need somebody. And, you know, Mizbah would have had a reason. Mizbah's like, you know, I'm pragmatic. I need a guy who scores me runs. I don't need this yeah. newbie who's not scoring me runs. I'll get Taufik Omar back in. I'll get Mohammad Hafiz back in. <laughs> I want somebody who scores runs, right? Which is, you know, okay, whatever. But Mickey Arthur persisted made sure that he stayed and sometimes that's all you need you know if if, yeah. if Omar Akmal hadn't been dropped back in 2011 from the test side who knows you know if they'd stuck with him for another five test matches uh, you know who knows Babar Azam is literally like that cousin that you get taunted about all the time for Omar Akmal <laughs> like but literally like that's actually him family dinners for him must be like horrible must be horrible, right? must be horrible. <laughs> look, look what your cousin did today what have you done <laughs> uh, you know I got fat but that's it <laughs> He, uh, Umar Akmal played the GT20 in Toronto uh, last year. Yeah, yeah. And so he was, uh, we were sitting at the uh, the cow corner and he was fielding in front of us. And he was standing in front of us for 10 minutes for like at least four overs. And I did not know that that was Umar Akmal. <laughs> My father told me, yeah, Umar. I'm like, no way. And then as soon as people realized that literally Umar Akmal was standing in front of us, he got catcalled so bad from the crowd. <laughs> I felt so bad for the guy. But it must it was be just, hard being Omar Akmal, huh? Like, oh, it must be so hard being Omar <laughs> it, it was absolutely brutal. But um, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the New Zealand 35-man squad. And I think we're all, you're from Karachi as well. You're from Karachi as well. Right. What are your thoughts on literally no player being, no Karachi player being in the squad? Is that like Rashid Latif? Because he Sabaz listens to a lot of... Sabaz is there in the squad, right? For the, for the T20 squad. He's right? a backup wicketkeeper. Backup, but yeah. we know he's going to... They're yeah. going to play uh, Rizwan first. I feel like that's yeah. what... Yeah, it's awesome. going to be. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's a thing. I think Karachiites like make a big deal out of it. Like, because I I, he listens to a lot of Rashid Latif on PTV oh, yeah. and he makes it political. And that's just like, he's still, I feel like when I hear Rashid Latif, I feel like I'm back in the 90s. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, so, so Karachi, Karachiites like, like moan, bitch about like, you know, nobody from Karachi. But you look at somewhere like, you know, Balochistan. You look at uh, Sindh outside of Karachi, like Hyderabad yeah. and all the other towns there. They've never Including had India. in the Pakistan side. You know, so like yeah. those guys have not been represented. Pakistan side has been basically about Punjab and Karachi for like the longest time. Yeah. And like I, for one, have absolutely no issues if there's more guys from KPK coming in there, if there's guys from Pata coming in there, if there's guys from Hyderabad coming in there. It's good, man. I don't mind. Like, And I, I don't think any selection committee now maybe did, and even then I'm not sure, but maybe... At some time it did, but I don't think any selection committee now says, oh, you know, uh, oh, this guy's from Karachi. He's really good, but because he's from Karachi, let's leave him out. I don't think anybody <laughs> yeah. That's what I, I would assume, right? That's what, I, that's what yeah. I'm thinking in my head. 
But like, like, some, like if you think who is a guy who really should have so Hail Khan is in the squad. He's like a kind kind of adopted Karachi guy, right? But who is somebody from Karachi they really needed to pick and they didn't? Fawad Alam is in there. Suhail Khan is in there. Uh, Sabraz is here as part of the 35-man squad. So, you Asa know... Shafiq, Asa Shafiq is a name that keeps popping up. Like, my dad loves him. He's like, why is he... He needs to be dropped, man, though. Asa Shafiq's, like, record... He, Asa Shafiq is literally, like, the, 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 the example of Karachi hegemony over the rest of the country. Like, he was... He's been playing nothing. He's, like, been doing nothing for the last two years and he's been picked every single time. Like, yeah. 76 death matches in a row, I think he's played for Pakistan, which yeah. is like a record. He should have been dropped, like, you know, two years ago, or at least a year ago, he should have been wrong. It um, was it was because of that Australian innings, right? I mean, he never he was never able to. What was expected from him was to take over the place of you know Miss Banyunis by him exactly. answer. Exactly, that didn't really happen, um, which is disappointing. He's completely, like he's been owned by Babar Azam's rise since then, and he's kind of you know built even somebody like like Azhar Ali, which is why I, I really like Azhar Ali, is that you know he. He doesn't have like a tenth of the natural kind of skills and the ability that somebody like Hassan Shafiq has. But goddamn, like he goes out there and he leaves everything out there. And he, it looks like, you know, he's an ugly ass player, but he leaves. He works hard. <laughs> he true. leaves everything out there. Like he'll come back from an innings and he'll be like a five off, you know, 35 balls in an hour. But you know that he's given everything to those 35 balls in that hour. Whereas Hassan Shafiq, he'll come out and he'll make 25 off those 35. But, you know, he, he'll come and he'll go and you'll be like, why haven't you made 100 out of this? Because you're looking like you could have made 100. You're looking like you should have made 100. But instead, you're back here with 25 and it's not helped yeah. anyone, you know. So he's th- that contrast has always been like, it, it's been really, it's been compelling. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, it's absolutely fine that Asisha Peak's been dropped. I think he needed it. Um, he might still come back because, you know, they're going to New Zealand. It's not like they're going to have a huge amount of success there. I don't think that's right. <laughs> He might be back. <laughs> We're trying to be optimistic here, but thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the fact that, you know, how did you come around getting around writing a book and why did you choose to write it about Pakistan cricket? Uh, how long did that take you? And what other options did you have in mind for the title? Ah, okay. Uh, it's a very, it's a, it, it, so this started, uh, I, I, I had no intention of writing a book, but in May 2007, I remember the day, May 15th, I think it was, um, when when all hell was breaking loose in Karachi, I think that was around the time that the MQM Chief Justice thing happened yeah, when he flew over. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got I an email that. from uh, the publisher at HarperCollins in India, out of the blue, and she had gotten my email from uh, 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 this journalist Shada Ugra, who's like an amazing, amazing lady, uh, one of my like absolute heroes. Uh, used to be with India Today, then joined us actually at Crick Info, and has, has now just left. But she had sent. This, this lady, Kartika, at HarperCollins, my name, um, because they were looking for somebody to do a book on Pakistani cricket. And if you remember, this was just after like the Woolmer death and, you know, this crazy yeah. period that was happening in Pakistan. And she, she just wrote in and said that, would you like to write a book? And I was like, well, okay, I don't know what I'm going to write it on. Like, what do you want in Pakistan? She's like, well, you know, why don't you do a history? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so 2007, I began kind of the process. And for like the first four years, so until 2011, until I moved to Abu Dhabi, I, I, you know, all I did was just research. Um, I, I went out and interviewed people. Um, I, I traveled to Lahore, to, to Peshawar, to other places around the country, just to like meet sources firsthand, because you know, there wasn't that much history to kind of pick up from uh, as a secondary source in Pakistan. So I had to kind of just go out there myself. Um, went out, uh, started doing that research. And the good thing about the publishers, Kartika, was that you know, she, she, I, I would keep writing to her every now and again and say, um, I think the first deadline she had given me was a year. 
<laughs> so I had to do it by 2008. And that pretty soon it that. became clear that I wasn't going to do it for like in a, <laughs> in a year or four even. So she was like, listen, you know, you're on the books. You've got the contract. Just do it whenever you can. Like, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm just going to trust you on this. Again, you know, I had this great person who just said, just do it. Um, and so uh, I, I did all the research and then, and then like putting it together was like the toughest thing in the world. I had no idea how to like shape the book, uh, how to structure it, how to, how it would flow. Um, and, and it was, it was a really, really difficult. So one of the first drafts of the book was just like this, this mesh and really bad mesh of like uh first person writing and, uh, and, and, and profiles and narrative history done in a weird, not chronological order. And uh, I, I didn't know what I was doing with it. So I sent it to a friend of mine. In fact, Rahul, Rahul's wife, Shruti, Rahul Bhattacharya, who used to be with Cricket Info. Yeah. Um, his wife, Shruti, uh, who, who is now like, she's a literary agent. Uh, and, and they very kindly kind of, you know, read through the drafts and said that, listen, you're making it really like complicated for yourself. Just do it as a history and like, you know, mix, like just, just get the structure right. And so I eventually settled on the structure that, that, you know, that is what the book became now, which is that, you know, there, there was a kind of narrative flow to it from start to end, which was the simplest thing. And it was just mixed with a lot of reportage and profiles uh, of like, you know, the, the, the players who had the greatest impact on them. So it, it kind of came about because of, you know, Rahul and Shruti's intervention was just like absolutely crucial to this whole thing. Um, and, and the title came from Shruti herself. I, I couldn't think of a, I, I just, I blanked, you know, when, when you've done something that big, you're just sitting there and, and you can't like, you know, put it into one, like three words yeah. thing yeah. to sum it all up. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, I have no idea. And so Shruti came up with like five options. Um, luckily, none of which involved the word present or like green or anything like that. And I was like, you know, <laughs> Those are the only things I could think of. And she was like, no, just let me come back to you. And so she did. And like the un literally the Unquiet Ones was the first option that she'd given. And I was like, this, this one is the one. I think um, that, yeah, that explains her. Pakistan cricket so perfectly. That, I think it needed really like an outsider to kind of, you know, sum it up. I think it needed somebody sitting in from the outside and not from within it to kind of just say that, you know, this is the one. Um, and she chose the, the, the cover photograph, I think as well, she chose. Um, because she liked the, you know, the cover has like a barefoot. I think one of the players coming out to celebrate is bare feet uh, yeah. on the ground. And she just liked that. And she's like, you know, I think that captures something. So I was like, all right, great. <laughs> so, you, um, uh, you mentioned that for, just for the research of this book, uh, you went all around Pakistan. Uh, has your job taken you places that you didn't expect your, you to be? Because I'm expecting like if you are a cricket for writer, you'd be at the games. Is that something that you do often? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just within Pakistan, you know, I, I'd never, uh, I hadn't lived in Pakistan until I moved there. Um, and so, you know, I'd only ever been to like Karachi and Islamabad. We, we used to go back on summer holidays and that's the only places we used to go to. Um, but with Crick Info, I actually like, I traveled around Karachi for a start. I went to places in Karachi, which I'd never been to. And then I moved out. So I, you know, I went to Multan, I went to um, Faisalabad, Sheikhupura, and I went to, I started going to all these places, which I would never otherwise have gone to. Um, Bhawalpur, which, you know, Peshawar up north. So <laughs> I, I, wa I want to do a lot more, but yeah, cricket definitely opened up that. And then, you know, like globally, I mean, it's been amazing. So I've, I've been very, very fortunate to have gone to Australia, South Africa, both a couple of times. Um, have you, have you, which what, what kind of like memorable games have you att attended? Things that you'll probably never forget. 
for us, uh, like we we were at we were at the uh, New Zealand Pakistan game where uh, at Edge Baston at Edge Baston oh, yeah, that, that was a fateful that. that was that was a great atmosphere. Amazing, crazy, crazy. Best nights of my life. Like it was 14 degrees. It was cold. And then, and then Shaheen's ripped through like the the, the New Zealand batting order. And And Surfaz completely. Before that, Surfaz was like, you know what? I want Baba to score a century. So why don't I like give them runs on the board? (laughs) And then we were just like, it was amazing. It was. No, that was a great game. I mean, there's been a, I've been, like I said, I've been really, really lucky. So I, I did the 2011 World Cup as well. I saw the Mahali game. I covered the Mahali game live, which, you know, wow. Pakistani fans don't love that game, but that was an amazing game to cover. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. phenomenal, like the, just the whole atmosphere around. A lot of the India-Pakistan games, like one of the first, first games that I did, uh, in fact, it wasn't the first game, but uh, it may have been my third game, was the, the first ODI of the 2004 series when India came to Pakistan. So that was in Karachi. Okay. And uh, India made 349 and Pakistan lost by four runs. Oh, yeah. Crazy yeah. game. Yeah. Like I remember a that wild, game. wild game. And just the atmosphere, like the ground was, you know, 35,000 plus. And it was like, the ground was like, um, it, it, it was like a constant kind of slight tremor happening. Like you could feel yourself just like bobbing up and down because of the noise. How was it like to see... Shoibakhtar running in ball at his nearly peak in 2004? Amazing. How was that? Amazing. So I saw him... I covered uh, every one of the test matches in that 2005 and six season when he was like, you know, he, he, he's completely bullied. With the slower balls. Series. Yeah, and the slower balls came out. So I, I remember watching him one, like just enduring memory is of the press box in Faisalabad. It's an open air press box. It's really good. It's low and it's open air and, and it's right behind the bowler from one of the ends. And so you can like, you know, he's maybe 40 meters away from you when he's at the top of his run up. And he would walk, you know, that slow, shape, tired walk to the top of his Don't forget the hair flying. And the hair there. And then he would start, like, just getting the crowd up. And the crowd would go crazy as he would run in. And he bowled this, like, fearsome spell. He was, like, he was hitting 92, 93, 95. Every ball of the spell. He got Kevin Peterson out. He got Andrew Flintoff bowled. And that was, like, you know, Shoaib in his element. Like, uh, this crazy crowd in Festival Test match. You know, 18,000 people there. Completely willing him on. Him playing with the crowd, and it was just like phenomenal. Like it, it was like an out of this world feeling. And in that one of the test matches before that, um, also in Festival, I remember um, it, it was a dead game. Like you know, it was heading for a draw. It was against England, I think. It was heading. It was looking like it was headed for a draw, but it didn't. Ultimately, it did head for a draw, but in a more exciting way. And Afridi came out, and you know, the crowd was full. Afridi played this madcap innings. And as soon as he got out, I, like, I've not seen this before. As soon as he got out, like the minute the ball was caught, like at least 70% of the crowd just got up. <laughs> and I was like, guys, 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 like there's more. Crowd. They were like, no, we're done. <laughs> we got what we wanted and they just walked out. Like literally 70% of the crowd. And the stadium was just like deathly quiet afterwards. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, for our generation, Af- for our generation, like Afidi and and Shoei Bakhtar were single-handedly the reason that we started watching cricket. Like, yeah, we grew up in, we grew up in California where, like, only the only cricket that we could see was what dad was watching on the TV. But yeah. because, like, Afridi and Shoei Bakhtar was such hype name, the 2003 World Cup, I significantly <laughs> remember, even though it was, a, it was a bomb now, like, now that I'm older, I know that was, that was completely terrible. But yeah. I remember waking up in the middle of the night watching Afridi bat, and it was just, like, I had that visceral feeling that those people in the crowd had. Like, I'm here for this one man and that's yeah. nothing else matters. 
and he, and he hits, you know, he'll he'll always like inevitably he'll hit like one six and he'll take a single and you're like, okay, something special is gonna happen. Yeah, fourth ball, yes. he's like gone, and you're just like, come on, dude. He's, but he's like, I have seen him. I saw him score that uh, 45 ball hundred in Kanpur, uh, wow. which was like another crazy innings. He silenced. I remember that game. Totally different way over there. You know, it was crazy yeah. innings. And uh, one of the best things about that innings was uh, so you know, you know, when you're covering something like that, you like you have to write about it. Like, you know, maybe match like half an hour after the game is over. So yeah. trying to process all this information is really difficult. Um, but again, Rahul Bhattacharya, who, if you guys haven't read, you should really read him. He's like, you know, he's the finest writer out there. What, a, you know, not even just cricket uh, on anything. And he, um, he SMSed me like as soon as the innings ended uh, and the message was because, you know, this was before WhatsApp and stuff. So we were SMSing each other. And he yeah, SMSed SMS. Like, you, you just dated yourself by saying SMS. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, boomer, right? So I, I, he messaged me, and neither of us had seen the the first Afridi hundred in '96. You know that 37 ball hundred against Sri Lanka, which of course you know isn't there on video. There's really bad highlights of it, and yeah, because yeah. it wasn't broadcast in Pakistan at the time. And so he he SMS me saying that you know I never saw that innings, but I know how people must have felt now. I I now know how people must have felt watching it at the time. And that was it. That was like, okay, this is the piece. That's essentially the piece because, you know, what you've seen is something that has makes sense of like this legend that has lived in the minds of all Pakistanis for so long. Afridi. I, everyone talks about that hundred and nobody's seen that 9600, right? Because it wasn't broadcast in Pakistan. It wasn't even available to see in Pakistan for like at least three years after the innings was played. Yeah. yeah, but everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I was there. I saw it. You know, I I, I bumped off school and I went home and I watched it. I was like, dude, you didn't. No, you didn't. In Pakistan, <laughs> yeah. That I think that helped his myth a lot. Like yeah. that helped his myth. because we didn't see how it happened. Yeah, just 100%. the pure fantasy of it was just riveting. And then that, when people saw the nine, the two thousand and five innings, they were like, "Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how he did it." And <laughs> that two thousand five innings, I remember the, the the way that he got out was the only ball he went to block, and he oh got inside edge and he bowled. Yeah, we'll sign off with the fact that I want to ask you what are your favorite cricket grounds in the world have been uh, covering cricket everywhere um, and then we'll let you go oh my god that's a tough one man I, I, I mean I, you know my uh, I, my like heartstrings are always for the national stadium in Karachi it's like a beat up old dusty ground but I love it I love watching cricket there but at the, um, uh, the PSL final like it looked really dolled up and I was like hey that's great. Yeah, I, yeah, I was kind of in two minds about that. I was like, I don't, I don't want it to be dolled up, but I'm just old, right? I'm an old guy. I'm missing home, so I wanted to be like, I want my memories to be like, you know, they were back then. But, yeah. but I, I like, I love the National Stadium. I love, I love watching cricket there. MCG is pretty good, um, but Festival is a great ground, by the way, for like for being close to the action and like really feeling everything out there in the crowds and stuff. Festival is like top notch. Absolutely. I was expecting, I was expecting like Lords or or something like that. Stuffy, man. Lords too stuffy. Really? I we we saw one game at Lords and I was like, this is probably the best experience I'm ever having. But that's because you had the Pakistani crowd there, right? Yeah. You yeah. must have gone for a Pakistan game. Yeah, Pakistan crowd makes everything lively, right? But like I, I I've covered test matches there where like you know the majority of the crowd is like an English crowd and they're a bit kind of like the oval is a good ground, actually. The oval is a really good ground to watch cricket in. Like you get you get like a better, more fun crowd at the Oval than you do at, at, at Lords and and Edgbaston. Edgbaston's always like rocking. Edgbaston is freaky. Edgbaston is yeah, yeah. crazy. Edgbaston is like a jungle, man. It's, you're, you're, you're <laughs> it's it's like, oh, where am I? Why am I here? But it's That's great. Actually, true. Like we were at one of the top stands, 
And I was, at one point I was fearing for my life because the crowd was so <laughs> wild. It was actually crazy. And this was like our second time, second game, because the first game was the one at Lords against South Africa. All right. Yeah, yeah. was against, against New Zealand. For second game ever watching cricket for Pakistan. It's oh, a good place to go, man. This is how it always is. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the time difference going to be like for you guys for the New Zealand games? It's going to be like oh, some uh, I think it might start here in the evening, actually. Um, oh, that's not so bad. That's not, so that's bad. not too bad. They're that far ahead, I guess, aren't they? They're like yeah. the other yeah. world. Did you, does, does that does that mess your mess your like sleeping schedule as well when there's like no I, I you know I, I've become so old now that I just like some days I'm just like oh you know forget it I, I can't watch tonight I need I need sleep I need to wake up in the morning for school and breakfast and all this I'm just like ah unless unless I have to watch it I'm not going to stay up to watch um, <laughs> you've turned into like a suburban dad now that's all <laughs> I man like I, I turned into one like a long time ago <laughs> I turned into one a long time ago. Well, well, thank you for your time, Usman Bhai. We truly appreciate it. This was a oh, wonderful, yeah. insightful conversation. Uh, where I learned a lot about Pakistan cricket right now. And uh, I, the thing is, I tried to get your book. If a full disclosure, it's just not shipping to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, the first one was like, there was, I, long story short, I'm doing an updated version, uh, which should be out maybe next year. So, there's a couple of other chapters on it that are going to be added in. And this time... Thankfully, we will have a, a Europe and North America distributor. So it should be available. Because um, we're very eager for that book. Like I was very, very excited to read it. But I just, Amazon was like, do you want to pay $75 for shipping? And get it like three it's months not worth it's not, You can spend that 75 bucks on something like much more useful. <laughs> much more useful. No, no. As soon as we get, a, as soon as it's distributed in, in Canada, we're get, I'm getting a hands on it. I just want to take it on. Uh, thank you very much for your time again. Uh, and uh, hopefully you'll come back because I we had a great time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much. I'm I'm gonna be. I'm, we can stop recording, but I'll be in Canada sometime next year. It'd be great to hook up. Uh, Definitely. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Next no, summer or something. We, I think we'll be there, so it'd be nice to meet up. Yeah. Inshallah. As soon yeah. as as soon as uh, this whole COVID stuff situation, like. Yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is all sure. COVID pending, of course. But you know. Yeah. yeah. We plan to be there. So. Take care of yourself. Lots of love to the family and the kids. And thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for this. Take care. Bye. Bye.